are starting to see us as a point of contact and I suppose trusting the HSE and trusting our brand. So if maybe they did need support after, they would come to our website or they would say, I had a really positive engagement at the festival with that drug worker. Maybe I would consider then going to the local drug service. Hello and welcome to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing. My name is Fergal Fox and today my guest is Nikki Killeen. Nikki is the HSE Emerging Drug Trends Project Manager based in HSE Social Inclusion. You're very welcome to our podcast, Nikki. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Listeners may have already heard about the harm reduction approach been taken by the HSE in relation to drugs at musical festivals. So this is very innovative and some might see radical approach to take. So Nikki, can you tell us why are we doing this? Yes. So the HSE reviewed the area. We linked with international stakeholders and local stakeholders and reviewed the data. And our drug landscape has completely changed. So there's increases in certain types of drugs being used across society, such as stimulants and increased risks. So the drug market has diversified and it's changed for the past decade. And what we're seeing now is shifts in the contents. So risky adulterants, which could appear. And at the moment, we're very concerned about high strength drugs. High strength means higher risk. So what we're seeing with MDMA across Europe and some of the trends we have identified in Ireland, that one pill or one product can contain two or three times the average adult dose. So whereas before people would have assumed you take one pill, Harm reduction would obviously tell people it's safer not to use. If you are using, you need to use a quarter, very small amount of that substance because the substance is much stronger. Similarly with cocaine and ketamine, actually, we're seeing higher strength products. So we don't want to communicate that to the people we engage with at festivals as being a good thing. So we need to identify the trends, identify the risks and communicate that so they know what implication that has on their health. So a harm reduction approach is a necessity? At the moment, yes, I suppose. With more people using drugs throughout society, across all social demographics, and with gender dimensions now being an issue, so the drug-taking space would have been male-dominated, we're now seeing closing gender gaps with, with substances such as ecstasy and cocaine with younger people. So younger females are using ecstasy and cocaine at slightly higher levels than before. So we now need to reach these young people, inform them of the risks. And I suppose if they still choose to use, support them and how they can minimise those harms to their health. So each of the drugs they're using will have different risks. The high strength is one and some of the risks could be physical or mental. So having them fully aware that they're making an informed decision when they're taking those drugs, what it means for them and how it might interact with, say, their medication or their mental health. And one of the things, like I used the term innovative and radical in the introduction there, but we're not that innovative and radical compared internationally. Are we, are we cutting edge here or are we following other leads? We are looking at other countries who have ran services like this for a number of years. So this work is led by Professor Eamon Keenan, who's the National Clinical Lead for Addiction Services. And we would have reviewed European and international services. So we, we looked at our information and our service delivery gaps and we looked at areas where we can improve our knowledge. So web surveys and outreach to festival settings. But we're also looking at other areas to monitor drugs such as syringe analysis, wastewater analysis, hair analysis, hospital monitoring. So I suppose this is one tier of a sweep of different services that we are looking at and they're recommended by the EU drug agency, the EMCDDA. So I suppose everything that we are piloting here has been done in other countries for some time and are recommended by EU governing agencies. One of the strategic actions was for the HSE to review emerging drug trends, the current drug landscape 
and youth and nightlife settings. So we were mandated to conduct a review on this area. And what we found was a very new drug landscape existed in Ireland. We brought together a range of different stakeholders from Ungarda Síochána, representatives in the nightlife sector, students, dance magazine, researchers, psychiatrists. And we all deliberated, I suppose, about these topics every month for a few months and linked with stakeholders from other countries to review nightlife and substance use trends across Europe. We made a series of recommendations and conclusions. That's a new term for me now, the nightlife. I came across it in your reports and your research. So that's a particular setting, I guess, nightlife scene where you know these particular drugs have been taken or used or there's particular risk. Yes. So we use that term to describe a range of settings, everything from bars, nightclubs, house parties where people will be socialising at night time and festivals. So we generally use that term to describe use in social settings. So people who are using a bit of a different way than, say, the people coming to our services who may have dependencies, who are using in particular ways these young people are using to socialise. They're using to go out. They're using as part of their nighttime activities. And is there a particular age cohort we're thinking about when we name those settings or is it right across the board? It's right across the board. So when, when we looked at this area with this working group, we were using the term young people. Yeah. So we stopped using that now because I suppose everybody in these settings ranges from 18 to 30 to 40. So some may use throughout, you know, early adulthood and stop. Some don't. So this is an area we need to know a little bit more about. But I suppose this is where we're starting with this review. And what we identified was that these settings are risk taking settings. So use is occurring in risky ways. There's high volumes of use. People are mixing drugs, so taking more than one substance at a time known as polydrug use. And in general, there's just health and social issues. So everything from, you know, the risk of a drug emergency, people becoming unwell to sexual assault and violence and a range of different areas. So I says we're starting first with the substance use and then we'll look at the other areas across the spectrum. I think people would understand whether there's polydrug use going on or there's alcohol and drug use going on. There's going to be more risk taken. It's dangerous things in a dangerous space, I guess. Yes. So I suppose what we would have seen previously was that people were mono substance users. So maybe yeah. they were using one substance. The landscape has completely changed now that there's high levels of mixing. So alcohol consumed with cocaine, MDMA, ketamine and maybe some cannabis or other substances. So we would have done a piece of research in 2019 as part of this initial review. And we had about 1,193 people, to be precise, respond to our web survey. And 86% of them were using more than one drug at a time at a festival. So the average was one to three drugs per session. And we had people reporting up to the use of eight different substances per event. That's quite alarming. Yes, yes. And and a lot of these drugs will interact negatively with each other. So alcohol will increase the risks with all drugs in general. But substances like alcohol and cocaine, when they combine in the body, they produce a new substance known as cocalethylene, which increases the risks. What we're seeing, I suppose, at festivals as well as alcohol and ketamine is leading to people becoming drowsy and vomiting and becoming very unwell. And then people who take prescription medication are generally unaware of how they may interact. So some of the antidepressants may interact negatively with MDMA. So so that's part of our harm reduction is to, first of all, identify what's going on, identify the trends. We acknowledge there's knowledge and service delivery gaps. And we're trying to fill that now to educate these young people about what's the risk for them in that environment. So you named these settings as risk-taking environments, but you focused on music festivals as a pilot. Can you tell me why you did that? Yes. So we originally are piloting this program. It's in its second year now in festival settings. I suppose there was a number of reasons for that. There was some high profile issues across festivals before COVID-19, such as emergencies and sadly fatalities. 
It's also a space where we think there's increased use. So people who may not be using regularly throughout the year may during this period. Which is another risk onto other risks. Is that a layer risk where they don't have any, you know, they're just, it's a new experience. Yes. So for that reason, we decided to pilot it here first. But we do have plans with the Department of Health and the Department of Culture to look at the wider nightlife economy through the work of the Nighttime Economy Task Force and looking at how we can adapt this model, be a piece throughout uh, communities and nightlife settings moving forward. So let's get into it then. The way the phrase that I see been used to describe what's going on in the festival is a back of house, is that right? Yes, the Safer Nightlife programme has a few different strands to it. Founded on a harm reduction ethos and, and just to give listeners a, just a quick update on what harm reduction is. So harm reduction is a set of practices and policies that essentially aim to minimise the harms caused by a person using substances or minimise the harms to wider society. So I suppose this approach has been in policy since the 90s in Ireland. We would probably traditionally know it with our needle exchanges. So people who are using heroin at that time, they would have been provided with the option of opiate treatment, methadone. And while they're using, offered sterile equipment to use their heroin in a safer manner, I suppose. So they would receive injecting advice on how, on how to use. So when we're looking at harm reduction, there's just a range of, of different practices, you know, providing condoms, providing basic environmental prevention, such as free water, food in venues. What we are doing is we're looking at harm reduction for the club drug users. So the people who are using across society who may never come to our services. So they're not educated about drugs or they're not educated on the harms or how to reduce those harms. So these young people would be using substances like MDMA, which people will probably know as ecstasy, ecstasy pills. Now they're using MDMA powders and ecstasy pills, cocaine, ketamine, psychedelic type substances. So our aim, I suppose, is to meet these people where they're at in nightlife settings. Yeah. They generally won't come into our services. Our services are predominantly aimed at opiate use and dependent use. So these young people are in the HSE sites, hard to reach. They're out there, they're using substances, they don't know the harms or how to minimise them. And have you seen a profile shift in the people that you know are using these club drugs? Yes. So I suppose traditionally in Ireland, we would have looked at substance use through the opiate lens. So we would have had our services, which were very much tailored at opiates, crack, benzodiazepines and dependent use. What we are seeing now is a shift in prevalence rates across society. So increases in the use of stimulants, cocaine, MDMA, ketamine. And what we now view is that your social background, your social status, your gender or your ethnicity are no longer protective or predictive factors. So use is occurring across all social demographics. We're seeing slight increases in women using, young females using ecstasy and cocaine. So what we are seeing now is the risk is throughout society. So the harm reduction is paramount. Yes. So if you think that you've increased prevalence rates at a time, actually, when the drug market is quite risky, you could have increased harms. The other big trend that my sense of it from reading some of your reports is that the types of drugs, like you've named so many different types there, that it's expanded and that they've diversified, you know, there's different synthetic types of what we may know as traditional types of drugs. Is that true? Yes. And I think we could do nearly a whole podcast right. on the types of drugs, Fergal. It's a very interesting space. So just to give listeners a quick update. So when I keep referring to the changing drug landscape, the past decade has been significant in terms of how we live our lives, how we communicate how we're influenced. And technology, I suppose, has also diversified the drug market in terms of the supply, the access, how people source drugs. But it's also amplifying drug cultures and drug trends to influence use. So that is a prevention challenge that we are now communicating and 
viewing drugs in different ways. So it's a really difficult time for young people to navigate information about drugs online, policy debates, information on content, but also the mechanisms in which you can now source drugs. You can source it on your social media account, through your phone and have it delivered to your door. So that's a really big, significant shift but also the types of drugs available have completely changed. So we're seeing the marketing of drugs coincide with marketing used on traditional social media channels. So MDMA, how it's advertised on social media is very different and the same with the cannabis products. We can now get cannabis edibles, jellies, cakes. The market has completely changed. So I suppose there's a greater diversity of drugs available, but there's newer drugs now available. So, yeah. so that is a risk. Listeners may be familiar with the head shop era where we had shops where you could buy substances. There was a sense, I think, in our society when we got that eventually, like there was an outcry around that. All the drugs task forces were engaged around that. We got them closed down through legislation. But my sense is they just went underground. Yes. So legislation was quickly enacted to essentially close the head shops. So these new drugs, which were avoiding the law, I suppose, which were yeah. stimulants and very potent substances, they have now infiltrated the black market. A lot of them were kind of chemical makeup of what we would traditionally have understood as a drug. Yes. So there would be slight chemical changes to substances so they could be legally sold. But again, they would be potent in low doses and quite risky. One of the biggest concerns the HSE has at the moment is some of those families of drugs, such as synthetic cathinones or synthetic cannabinoids, are being sold as other drugs now and the consumer is unaware so you could purchase what you think is cannabis or a cannabis edible and it actually contains synthetic cannabinoid, which would be far more potent in lower doses. And similarly, what we found through our analysis, substances such as 3CMC, which means probably nothing to any of the listeners, it's synthetic cathinone, that being sold as MDMA and cocaine. So the user is unaware of what they're actually purchasing and they could be getting one of these new, more potent drugs. To explain some of the terms such as synthetic cathinone or synthetic cannabinoid, Synthetic cannabinoid works on the same endocannabinoid system in the body as cannabis. It's it's essentially a synthetic, a man-made version of cannabis. So it affects you in the same way? It does. It's more potent. So it's, it's far more potent in lower doses and increases the risks greatly. So these are generally chemicals that are sprayed onto herbs. So they could be sold as cannabis without the person knowing. And now we're seeing them present in vapes and in edibles. So someone thinks they're buying a cannabis edible, which has its own risks in itself. But I suppose they're then consuming a far more potent substance, which increases the risks. Yeah, yeah. The risks are diversifying all the time with this, isn't it? Yes. And a lot of the newer drugs are far more potent in lower doses. So you need a smaller amount and it can increase the risks greatly. I suppose one of the concerning areas at the moment is that people think they're buying cannabis or they think they're buying MDMA or cocaine and it's not. It's something far more potent. With the synthetic cathinones, so they are synthetic stimulants, which people would have been aware of from the head shops. So they would have been sold as methadrome. Now there's a wide range of these substances. So the family has evolved. And what we know from these substances is they increase the risk of adverse mental health reactions. So when we had cathinones being used by our service users, so they called it snowblow, we had actually a HIV outbreak because people were experiencing lowered inhibitions and it increased sexual activity and unprotected sex. So there was a HIV outbreak in Dublin at the time. What we also know is that it leads to suicide ideation, really adverse mental health reactions. So some people who were, were consuming a festivals could experience psychotic symptoms. So severe anxiety, severe paranoia, hallucinations, and for some people, prolonged anxiety, which is then impacting on their mental health. So your pilot initially, I know you're out in the field again now in festivals this summer, but you were in Electric Picnic in 2022. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So 
going back to the review that I mentioned, we looked at European services and there's many different approaches that are taken and have been taken since the 90s in other countries to engage with this population in nightlife settings, but also to analyse drugs. So I won't go into too much detail now, Fergal, but there's services known as front of house, back of house and a postal service. So we reviewed all of those approaches and linked with the EU experts and made a series of recommendations on the benefits and limitations of each of those approaches. We selected what's known as a back of house. So that means you're indirectly obtaining substances from the public. And in this case, we are using surrender bins. So at Electric Picnic, there was a surrender bin placed in a HSE tent and a surrender bin placed in the medical tent. And these were safe zones where we had an agreement with the Gardaí and festival organisers that people could come for health interventions. So people could come and talk to our staff in the tent about substance use. And should they choose to, they could discard of drugs into that bin for health monitoring purposes. So with the back of house approach, people are not getting a direct intervention based on what they've submitted. We ask consent and make sure they're aware of how this process works. And they will then willingly submit the substance in agreement that the substance is used to help the HSE know what's in circulation. When they're putting it into the bin, they know exactly the context it's going in and they know it's going to be tested. If it tests one way or the other, there may be information shared with other drug users. Yes. So the people at the two events that we've been at now were coming to us with concern that there could be something in circulation. So they submitted one sample. So say their friend group had a number of drugs. They gave one of those substances to us. We had people who were coming who just wanted to support the project. They wanted to help us know more and they were really interested in this realm of work and the progression of this work. So they just donated to help the HSE essentially. And then some people came as a result of their friends being unwell and brought to the medical tent and they wanted to discard of those drugs. Oh, wow. So there was different rationale, different reasons, but everyone was made fully aware that they would not get the drugs back, that they would not get the information delivered directly to them that there would be an alert if there was something concerning in the drug. But also at that, we wanted to let people know that even if there isn't an alert, here's what you need to do to minimise the harms. So we made sure that they were still leaving our tent with harm reduction information and the best guidance that we could give them on minimising the harms at that event. So that's the back of house. Yes. And it gives the person with the drugs a level of comfort, I guess, that you're trying to help the situation. So you got a a decent level of engagement with that? Yes. So initially at Electric Picnic, we got 47 samples. While that's numerically low, we got really rich data from those substances. So we had a series of new psychoactive substances, very unusual and novel psychedelics and stimulants. And from that one event, we had four drugs which have never been found before in Ireland. So we were able to update the EU early warning system that these drugs have been identified in the Irish context. So that's quite significant to the HSE, showing that this approach is reaching people we wouldn't otherwise reach, but also finding drugs that we don't know exist in Ireland. Yeah, so the timeline, I suppose it's difficult to put an alternative timeline when you would have found that out. Yes, and if we would have. If you would have. So I suppose with our current data, we generally look at general population and treatment service data. So we're not capturing the range of substance users who exist. And then I suppose in terms of our drug monitoring, we rely on seizure data from the Gardaí. If the guard sees substances, it is then known if that substance exists, but they may never seize that if it's a niche or novel trend with certain communities. And similarly, our last event two weekends ago at Life Festival, 
we think we've identified a trend called TUSI, which has never been uh, discussed before in the Irish context and possibly another new psychoactive substance which hasn't been identified before. So you have a team working on the analysis as soon as these come into the surrender bin? Yes. So generally we will have two locations at the festival. We will have the front serving drugs.ie tent where we operate our interventions. So people will come in and just discuss substance use with us. We might come back to that in a second, yes. actually. Yeah. And then we have our lab, which is not available to the public. So this will be based on site. They're using portable machinery for the festival setting that will do an initial analysis. So from that, we're able to identify the general trends. And then following the event, they'll do secondary analysis back in the lab. So I suppose it's important to acknowledge that the one of the core components for this project is delivered by the HSE National Drug Treatment Centre Laboratory. So they are the people who are reviewing the substances on site and doing that secondary analysis. So at the moment, they're doing the secondary analysis from Life Festival to go through the 97 samples that we got. And they will do the full sweep to identify everything that's in those substances. And 97 from Life Festival, that seems like a high number, which is a relatively small festival. Yes. So I think Life Festival has been a great example to show how this programme can work when fully adapted. Since Electric Picnic, we've been working through social media and through our networks to, to try and develop rapport with the public, to try and explain how this programme works. We've developed a series of videos and used the media and social media to try and let people know that it is a safe space. You can come talk to us about substances. I think there was a bit of concern at the outset that the, the guards are going to be outside the tent in Electric Picnic. You know, when you hand them up and you're going to get asked uh, questions, but you wouldn't have been successful there if you didn't get that trust developed, I guess. Yes. And one of the biggest challenges around the first pilot was the miscommunication in the media, which did cause fear amongst the young people. It's important to recognise that there already is a fear amongst that cohort. And we identified that in research, that if they became unwell at a festival, they said they would be reluctant to get medical help because they are afraid of prosecution for being a person who uses substances. So we do know there was a level of existing fear anyway. And I suppose media miscommunication created further fear for them to engage with us. We did a good bit of work before Life Festival to try and help people understand that we are working with the Gardaí, that we are working with the festivals and there is a safe space where you can come and chat about substance use and that is in our tent. So really, this is culturally challenging because like we think abstinence, say no to drugs is no means no. And whereas like a zero tolerance, we'd love that to be the case, but that's not the reality. Of course. And I think it's really important to highlight throughout this work, our core message is it's safer not to use drugs and we do highlight the risks. I suppose this is one tier of continuum of care that we need to invest heavily in prevention, substance prevention, targeting young people, challenging cultural norms, helping them navigate that space. And that's very, very important. So this is not to overshadow all of the other things we should be doing. So it needs to be part of the continuum. So prevention, looking at services, support, recovery and harm reduction. So it has to be part of a sweep of services that the HSE invest in, not just one. We have to have a range of services available. Yeah, it's interesting from a communications point of view that we've leaned into the PR and awareness of being able to explain repeatedly and to different audiences across the country, because there has been a lot of media interest in this. Yes, and we've worked really closely with the HSE communication division across the press office and social teams to review how we approach this. We did market research initially to look at the types of messaging that appeal to young people, the types of imagery. And I suppose for this user group in particular, 
who are using a nightlife spaces, really moving away from what's viewed as stigmatizing. So dark pictures of people who might use substances, you know, pictures of cocaine and razors, which would be traditionally what you'd probably yeah, expect yeah. When, you, when you think of substance use. For us to appeal and have buy in from these young people, we have to speak to them in a way that's meaningful and appeals to them. So we did look at other nightlife services across Europe who do take a very vibrant approach. Now, our messaging would be very tailored to the festival groups. The resources we have, we wouldn't be using in settings like post-primary. We'd have a very different approach there. It's really worth recognising that this is tailored at over 18 people who are using and people who are in these at-risk settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. I'm looking at the, some of the resources here around the start low and go slow with the snail image, but they are designed with a very kind of modern, fresh take. As you said, they're designed for that particular cohort and you don't want to create any confusion by saying they're for anybody else. Yes, and we wouldn't be using those resources in a post-primary setting. It was important for us to use a designer that was recognised by young people. So we used a designer who'd be familiar to that group. Our snail has become the mascot. We even had people at Life Festival who brought their own flag with the snail on oh, it. Oh, really? Uh, oh, so they're really leaning into it. Yeah, really buying into it. So for the future and foreseeable, the snail will be the brand for the HSE at festivals. So going back to coming into the tent, because you mentioned brief intervention there. We mentioned it too briefly, I think, because you just said there, like there's a sweep of things. But going back to the festival, there's a sweep of things going on there too, more than just the drug checking. Yeah. Like if, if you're walking into the tent, what you've set up there is more than just a, a surrender bin. Yes. And I think the media attention has focused on the substance analysis part. It's important to note that I suppose there is a programme surrounding that and those engagements are really, really important. So we need a team to go out and be the front face of the project across festivals. So we very quickly last year developed a training program to recruit volunteers. So we have a recruitment process that is graded and we select a range of different people from students, nightlife reps, people working in drug services. We have doctors, psychologists, a really diverse range of people wow. and works really well. So you will pair someone who maybe have more experience in the drug sector with a student or a nightlife peer. And these are the people that are going to be talking to the people on the site yes. that's coming into these tents. Are they walking around looking for engagements? Yeah, so we do a mix of both depending on the festival and right. their needs. So we're generally open for nine hours of the day for the three days and we will have a tent with our resources, with our snail, with different materials. We have water bottles to encourage hydration that will generally slow down people drinking and, you know, help people cool down if they're consuming substances. Lip balms. And, and different resources which essentially drive the young people to us if they're not coming over willingly, but they will hear that there's whatever we have in the yeah. tent and they'll come over and we use them as an engagement tool then to go, how's your weekend? And what's the vibe on the campsite? And, you know, we're here to talk about drugs. And That's interesting. You're starting off pitching this at where they're at, like an upbeat conversation. How are you? Yes, exactly. And we move it from there and they're surprisingly very open. So we would have the tent where, you know, people would be coming towards us or they'd just see the drug sign outside and go, you know, what are you doing here? And then that's yeah, yeah, the conversation. Yeah. But we also have outreach teams who will go throughout the campsites and the music venue. So they will be very vibrant in a high vis that's either pink or purple that says talk to me about drugs on their back. And they will be based, as I said, floating around, depending on the festival. At some festivals, they might do a little bit more going over to groups when they're sitting down and, you know, getting ready for the day. And generally just have very brief chats. So very short, structured conversations where they're trying to get in key points as quickly as possible. So some of them are very, very brief in that. What are you doing here? 
can I have one of that? I'll tell my mate and off they go. Some people then will have the conversations about I'm going to use ketamine and 2CB. How do they interact? How does my medication really? interact? They, like they, yeah. they know and they're asking that level of detail. They, so they know that polydrug use is a risk and they're asking for yeah. kind of a risk advice. Yes, completely. Wow. And, you know, they are very well educated themselves on substances. So I suppose one of the core components of this service that we developed is that our staff are able to have those detailed conversations because if you're working Monday to Friday in a service, you may not see ketamine or 2CB or psychedelics. Like Traditionally, we'd be behind the curve on this stuff. We as in the HSE may be the last one to know when somebody ends up in a service for a poor outcome rather than being proactive where your volunteers are. Yeah, and I suppose a big part of the Emerging Drug Trends projects, because we have a few other monitoring projects that we're working on, is to try and be ahead of the curve. So to try and catch the trend before it becomes an issue or to try and catch the trend. So we have information on drugs.ie that we can share with services or share with young people. So we really need to look for signals of change. So, you know, at say Life Festival, we uh, identify the mix of substances termed as 2C, which we haven't heard of before in Ireland, but we have in other countries. We now need to have information on that, provide harm reduction on that. And I suppose use that as a signal that this may become a larger trend and be ahead of the curve on it. What we're learning on the ground from the young people or the, you know, the people who are at festivals is really helping us stay on the cusp and stay up to date. And, you know, they will be really honest and we'll say, you know, how much is that? To see as an example from Life Festival, when we identified it in our bin, someone came in and said, this is the substance, it's called To See. We were able to then send our volunteers out and say, find everything you can out about the pink powder that's known as 2C. How much is it selling for? What do people think it is? Oh, so they're doing the active research as well. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a two way exchange, I suppose, that yeah. we, we are getting a lot from the public who are willing to tell you. You ask a question and we actually said, if there's anyone out there who's using this substance, would you ask them to give us a sample so we can further investigate? And they did. They came back with the substance and we had a second donation in our box. So we've developed this space now where there's that two way learning exchange and people are very willing to tell us what is going on. And are the festival organisers backing you, supporting you, helping you in any way? Yes. So I suppose Life Festival is an example. They really supported this approach. They put out messages on their social media before. We were embedded to link with the medical services. So if something was coming in, they were communicating with us and likewise. And I suppose it's the same at Electric Picnic as we're heading on and we're moving to Body and Soul this weekend. So each festival will be different in size and what they can deliver on and how they can support us. I do think there's still a fear out there amongst general nightlife providers in that this is still a very new approach. You're bringing a difficult topic to the limelight. So I do think we still have a lot of stakeholder work to do with this approach. But the majority of festivals have been extremely accommodating. I suppose they don't want any negative outcome out of their festival either. So like the harm reduction approach should be absolutely in their best interest. Yes, of course. But I think there's still a little bit of fear about highlighting substance use in the festival space and the nightlife space, which is understandable. I suppose this is the first time the HSE has worked with, these are very new stakeholders, very new service user groups. So we have a lot of learning. This is our second year of the pilot. We will have a report on our training and we, you know, we have produced the analytical report, but we are moving towards understanding the nightlife stakeholder needs because they are a new cohort that we're working with. So I think we will have a workshop later in the year with the Department of Culture to listen to what they think about harm reduction and what's their feedback on this approach and how could we all work together to improve this across all of these settings. So we do need to listen to their needs and ensure that this is supported at a national level.
You mentioned the brief intervention that you're doing with people coming to the tents or people that they're meeting. Is that like that conversation? Like we often talk about our making every contact count brief intervention. And I know there's the SEER brief intervention program for alcohol and substance misuse. So like, is it based on one of those models? Yes. So we would have as part of our training and adaption of SEER. So taking brief interventions to making it brief, short conversations and brief information in the festival setting. So using the core principles from that, we wouldn't be maybe assessing in all of the situations or referring, but very short conversations based on active listening and motivational interviewing. So we'd be using some of those techniques. As I said, the conversations really do vary. You could have one very short or you could have you could have someone there for 10, 15, 20 minutes and it could open up something else. So it's very important that our staff are prepared for every situation. Is there ever an opportunity for onward referral? Some cases, not all. You may get one or two per festival, but many people are there to have a good time and you may have planted a seed afterwards that they then go to the HSE website or they then reflect on it. You have a range of issues emerging at that course, festival. Yeah, and you yeah. know, and depends how in their minds their day or night is going, I guess. Yeah. And we did have some people at the last festival who did pop over every day for a chat to check in to really? see this is how I'm getting on. How are you getting on? We had people coming back to thank us on the Sunday and you know, so the engagements do really, really vary in terms of what those young people need, but they are starting to see us as a point of contact. And I suppose trusting the HSE and trusting our brand. So if maybe they did need support after, they would come to our website or they would say, I had a really positive engagement at the festival with that drug worker. Maybe I would consider then going to the local drug service. So, Nikki, you've mentioned a few times around communication and, and people going to the websites and this. And I know drugs.ie is all over your literature. What other platforms would you encourage listeners to be familiar with? Yes, so drugs.ie would be the main platform that we promote. We have the National Directory for Services there. So drugs.ie forward slash services where people can find drug and alcohol services in their community. And we will keep the website up to date with the latest trends. Our social media is the place where it's most frequently updated in terms of what we're doing, where we're at and our alerts. Just importantly to note of the work that we did at Electric Picnic and Life, at each event, we had three risk communications on substances of concern. So the social media channels will be updated when we are concerned. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yes, we're very new to Instagram, so we would love to follow us. Oh, if great. We do yeah, that, yeah. that'd be great. So yeah, there are our main so channels. So it's Daddy on Instagram? Yeah. Oh, great. Give us a follow, please. This is all about live information gathering and live information giving and you're using your social media channels to issue those alerts and you've used that what you've recognized as new to our system substances yes so when we identify a substance of concern the first place it will be is our social media channels even outside of the festival spaces we had a risk communication that we issued earlier this year so we had a number of young people become unwell after taking cannabis edibles we worked with Angarda Shiakana and the labs and reviewed and identified that synthetic cannabinoids were in some of the cases. So we issued an alert via our social media channel then. So I suppose even without being in the festival settings, we are trying to stay more up to date about what is going on and alerting and informing. And I suppose with having drugs.ie, then we can add further content if people need it. And actually what we found with people who use drugs it goes against comms principles. They like more information. They want to be given as much information as possible on what they're taking to reduce the harms. So drug study, I suppose, is a source that we, we can add that information to and will be a part of a migration process in the HSE. So it'll be fully migrated into the HSE's website in the next few years. And interestingly, at Electric Picnic, we worked with the festival to communicate on their large screens and the screens around the festival and on their application. 
So everybody at the festival got a push notification when the HSE put out an alert. As I said, there was some miscommunication in the media about the project and how it was going to work. And on the Friday night of the event, we did issue a risk communication. We found MDMA that was two times the average adult dose. So it was concerning. And our volunteers were around the campsite when the alerts went out and they said they could just hear the communication amongst the crowd saying, have you seen your phone? Have you seen that? Look, and it it, it was just like a wave throughout the campsites that they heard everybody around them speaking about this notification they just got from the HSE. That's a fantastic achievement in in such an unusual setting that you're able to reach everybody. It's great to have the festival behind you in that example, isn't it? Yes, and it was really significant. And I suppose that feedback meant a lot that people were listening. And even if they weren't using that drug, it was making them think that they need to be a little bit safer. It was introducing the concept of risk. Exactly. It was. And they had the image on the very large screens at Electric Picnic. And then the next day, one of the artists used the image in one of their backgrounds and they made a little bit of an art collage out of it. So it felt like we really reached that audience and were embedded into the festival. Even with the communication, it was just a conversation starter. And then our engagements improved over the next two days with the public because we were able to say, did you see that alert? Or people were saying to us, talk to us more about those alerts. Tell us what that means. So there's going to be an expectation when people go to these festivals that they expect the HSE to be there. (laughs) They may. And we need to look at how this programme adapts moving forward, following on from the pilot phase and how we resource it. Because there's a number of festivals every year and it can be difficult to choose which ones you are at. Okay, but you're out in festivals this summer. You've done life and you've a few more planned this summer. Yeah, so we did life in Westmeath two weekends ago. We're at Body and Soul from tomorrow. And then we will look at what other events we have in the lead up to Electric Picnic, which is September. Okay, and finally, I want to ask you, where do you think you're going for the rest of the summer and beyond with the music festivals? And are you looking at venues or is it just music festivals in the short term? So for the short term, we will have this pilot at music festivals this summer. We are then going to look at a working group with different stakeholders to see how this could be expanded into nightlife settings. So we will get their feedback and review. We'll look at resources. We'll look at the direction of the project for 2024. Okay, well, I really want to thank you for coming in today. I think you're a font of knowledge about this and you've been able to explain it in such an understandable, relatable way. I really appreciate you giving us the insights into what's going on and getting behind the scenes with your volunteers. And I want to wish you the best of luck in your future endeavours. Thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing.